10 centuries it has waited to be awakened, to be worshiped again like a god, to fill the skies, to cast its shadow over the earth, to release its fury. Podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Adam Walker, and joining me, as always, Brandon Hayden, Trust, the trusty, the faithful, um, my my trusty bestie, yeah, my, my wingman, yeah, your wingman, your wingman through thick, thin, and all of that in between. The Batman to my Robin. That's right. The uh, peas to your carrots. <laughs> uh, our other uh, guy couldn't make it tonight. He's off yeah. barbecuing people again. And he's doing the old barbecutioner bit for hire. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's too bad, uh, John, if you listen to this, that you're not on this one because I thought this was going to be a real rip snorter. He's a real singer. For you to be on the mic for. So you're a loss, bro. You gotta get yeah. sleep. I gotta yeah. sleep. I got job. Yeah. <laughs> Obligations. Boo. Your only obligation right now is strangling some dirtbag tramp in your soundproof basement and cooking them up for barbecue. That's right, which is a good obligation. School's for fools, works for jerks. Yeah. Well, tonight, we are uh, talking about a real, uh, real hootenanny of a movie. One of my favorites. <laughs> this is our first Larry Cohen movie on the pod. And talking about Q, the, wing, the winged serpent. The winged. Yeah, yeah. and I'm surprised it, surprised it took us this long to get to a Larry Cohen movie. But, you know, better late than never. We that we get into the master's work here, and I think this is a good one to kick it off. But before we get into the movie, we got to hand it off to our sponsor for tonight. And our sponsor for tonight is Q's Organic Wing Serpents. If you're gonna make an ancient Aztec god omelet, you got to break a few eggs. So reach out for the Q's Organic Wing Serpent eggs at your local grocery. You ever tried those before, Brandon? Tantalizing. 
won't go back. It's kind of like this, you know, beef jerky I just found. I mean, you, you have, you, yeah, you you take you take a bit and you, and and now you just can't go back. You've gone beyond, and you can't you can't go back. That's right. Be- beef beef bath jerky and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> taking a beef bath <laughs> yeah taking a beef bath and beyond well the beyond is those Q eggs I'll tell you what yeah. they are uh, out of this world <laughs> they really they get you flying yeah find them in New York it's local to New York only it's local so you you want if you want to support local local farmers local, local produce yeah check out the kiwi eggs <laughs> So Q, this was released in 1982, and it is, as we've mentioned, hinted at, it is from the USA, from New York. Larry Cohen is a very quintessentially New York director. All of his movies are pretty much set in New York, set around New York, as far as I know. Um, they're all homages to New York in some some way. He did The Stuff. He did God huh. Told Me To. He did... It's alive. So, a man with an impressive oeuvre of movies. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of looking through his catalog, and I am very surprised it's taken this long to get around to one of his films. For you, I mean, yeah, it, this this stuff is all right in your backyard. This is some here, some some prime, some hot cuts here. This is right in the wheelhouse. This is the. This is a strong spoke in the wheel. Uh, and it's starring, what a cast. What a cast. Jeez. David Carradine. What a man, what a man. Rick, Richard Roundtree. who getting hot. Yeah, Roundtree uh, lays it down, that's for sure. He lays it down. He lays some pipe in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, uh, we cannot forget Michael Moriarty, our, uh, our uh, intrepid hero, in this movie, the the protagonist of this movie, and he does a just a, a real, I mean, hats off to this man, because uh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, he 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 definitely lays into it. He play he plays it for all it's worth. I feel like the way you said that though, there's going to be some disagreement on this, huh? Well, are you? Is this a little foreshadowing? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Let's just say I watched this movie three times. Yeah, for the viewing of this to really fully come around to my thoughts. Okay, so to squeeze the juice out of it. Yeah. Well, okay. So for those of you who are not familiar with this movie up to this point, I'm going to give you a little <laughs> synopsis. This is one that I wrote up. And the synopsis is, an ancient Aztec serpent god is summoned in New York City through human sacrifice by a mysterious devotee and wreaks mayhem and destruction on the populace. That is one of the uh, plot lines here. And then a parallel plot line here we have is the aforementioned Michael Moriarty as Quinn, plays a small-time crook, unwittingly stumbles upon the beast's nest, and uses the discovery as a means to leverage a lucrative negotiation out of the city and sends the city police into an ambush by the bloodthirsty creature. Mm-hmm. That, that's spot on. I mean, I don't even know if I have to watch it after a 
synopsis like that, that covers all bases. Yeah, so there you go. Um, budget was $1.2 million, and Larry Cohen is known for being famous for being um, a baller on a budget when it comes to his films, doing a lot with a little. Mm-hmm. So um, he did a lot of guerrilla-style directing, did a lot of stuff that he didn't have permits for, just hit the street, got the shots, bing, bang, boom. He definitely he did. Was. He definitely did the stuff, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, he did. Auga. Yeah. Uh, it says that this box office grossed only about, I don't know, like a quarter of a million. But I feel like this movie did better than that. But oh, whatever. That's what the numbers say. So grossed about $255,000. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways. Some critical reception reviews I wanted to to pull out. Um, there's this one from Colin Greenland, and he stated, It is not often that a film is enjoyable as a monster movie, a character study, and a satire, but cue the Winged Serpent scores on every one, as well as taking a few swipes at the police, the mass media, and big city politics. Larry Cohen cannot resist poking fun at the innumerable monsters that have gone chomping and stomping, among the skyscrapers over the years. That's another thing about Larry Cohen is he was known for being very anti-authoritarian in a lot of ways, a very contrarian individual. Um, From what I know of him, I don't know how much there was any actual real deep philosophical substance to these like barbs and, and like, and attacks that he kind of made on these like kind of like subjects within his movies. But the intent was there that he was trying to at least, um, I guess, kind of portray some of the bullshit in the world. So, like, the stuff is obviously a good example of that. Like, yeah, consumerism, mass marketing, right. things like that. People yeah. buying into the 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 lie. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. I mean, if, if you needed any kind of example of his questioning of the establishment, mm-hmm. you know, I come into this from, I've never seen this movie, but I definitely have seen the stuff um, quite yeah. a bit. And it's, it's this stuff enough is never enough. I mean, it's like consumerism taking over. Um, yeah. I can definitely see um, a trend with his uh, store is storylines and plots <clears throat> going yeah. into this movie. Um, there was another little critical tidbit I want to point out because it was interesting to me in terms of how I feel about this movie it was kind of contrary to how I felt. But uh, James Marriott and Kim Newman uh, in their 2006 book, The Definitive Guide to the Cinema of Fear, uh, criticized the film's pacing as moving too fast. They felt that the overall effect of the movie was entertaining, which is interesting to me because I, I like the fact that this movie kind of zips along, mm-hmm. you know, you don't hear a lot of people criticize a movie for moving too fast. I feel it's usually <clears throat> a movie slogs. Yeah. Too slow. This movie though, it's just like never stops, never lets up. Yeah. They certainly don't. Uh, they don't. They don't, um, you know, take their time to get to the point. You have right. basically raining body parts and blood in the first 
three minutes of the movie. Yeah. So, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, um, in case people didn't know, this was my pick. So, you know, I have a special affinity for this movie. Um, I actually saw this movie fairly recently in terms of the, my overall history relationship with like Larry Cohen stuff. Um, and I was immediately hooked. I just thought this movie was amazing. I immediately like rewatched it like numerous times would tell everybody about it. I love this movie. I think it's, it's everything that I want in kind of a, like a campy B movie. So, and it, you know, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't have like a lot of glaring flaws to it. It's just a pretty fun movie to just take in. Anyway, so, but you were saying this is the first time you've seen it, but you've seen other Larry Cohen stuff, so. Yeah, and I would agree with you that <clears throat> for what I think he was going for, definitely checked all the boxes, you know. It's the satire, it's funny. Um, it has a bit of a of a real world narrative with you know the way that uh, small time criminals are handled through the justice system, etc. Um, you know the the creature feature element is yeah. right in there with um, I don't know Godzilla Kong that kind of stuff. Totally. Um, so yeah, it checked all those boxes for me. And um, it definitely was entertaining to watch. This is the kind of movie that even if you were watching it like at a party where you can't pay attention, it's going to be entertaining even if you can't hear the movie. I mean, the yeah. visuals and just the kind of wacky antics the characters get into, um, it's certainly entertaining. Well, good. Well, at least we know that much. Uh, so without further ado then, unless you have anything else to add, Brandon, would you like to get into talking about the movie? Yeah, let's 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 dig in. Let's move into the good, the bad, the questionable. Huh? Hey, what are you looking for? Looking for the head. The only place I haven't looked is up in the parapets. Won't be much left of it. Did you ever drop a cantaloupe from forty stories? Ready. So what the hell do you make out of this? Well, I figure something fell out of one of the windows on the floor up above and hit him. Sheared his head clean off. A big char of glass or something like that. There are no broken windows up there. Oh, shit. Maybe his head just got loose and fell off. But what do you want from me? Starting at the top with the good. This is kind of like a one of those chronological goods for me. But we were talking about how this immediately goes into... Just insane mayhem with the window washer, the creepy, <laughs> the creepy peeping window Damn. washer. They're just getting, doing the shittiest job washing the window, terrible. so that he could just, I guess, keep rewashing it. I don't, uh, I don't know well, how that's gonna make the babe inside excited to talk. Check it out, doing a shitty job, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and I yeah. love that dialogue she's had, or it's kind of a monologue because she's kind of talking to somebody on the phone about it, but then she's also just talking at the window washer. Yeah, where she's like, "Oh, the little creep, he's here again. He's how many times <laughs> you got to wash that window?" <laughs> yeah, the incessant knocking on the window. Hey, hey, yeah. 
And he's like saying like, oh, she loves me. Oh, yeah. She loves me. <laughs> he's just like leering at her while he's doing like the shittiest job of washing uh. this window and then just gets his fucking dome just you don't know at that point how he gets his dome fucking sliced off. Yeah. You know, you just make an assumption that it could be any sort of aerial threat or accident. Something could have fallen from the building and just lopped him. Sure. So then, and that cuts to obviously we, we then we're introduced to Richard Browntree and Derek Kennedy and the, the detectives on the case. And this is where, like, I knew that this movie, aside from just, like, how it, it just went for it, like, there was going to be my kind of movie because it's also, like, really dialogue-driven in a in a great way. It's got a lot of funny, witty dialogue. Right. And just that interchange between the two detectives about, like, well, how could this happen? And, uh, you know, like, they're trying to make an assessment and what does, like, Shepard, like, he, like, makes some, like, conjectures and maybe it, maybe his head just got loose and fell off. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And then what, but then like, uh, Richard Roundtree's character who I need to be reminded of his name. Let me look it up real quick. Um, his it's, character, uh, Powell, Powell. Thank you. Powell like contradicts, contradicts him. And he just goes, ah, oh, shit. Well, I don't know. What do you want me to tell you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 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 In fact, I want to look that part up because it's so funny. He's like, uh, okay, here it is. Hey, what are you looking for? Looking for the head. The only place I haven't looked is up in the parapets. Won't be much left of it if you ever dropped a cantaloupe from 40 stories. All right. So what the hell do you make of this? Well, I figured something fell out of one of the windows from the floor up above. Hit it. Sheared his head clean off. A shard of glass or something like that. There's no broken windows up there. Oh, shit. Maybe his head just got loose and fell off. Look, what do you want from me? <laughs> yeah, I actually uh, had that as a quote because it was so funny to me. Yeah. Maybe his head just got loose and fell off. So we got uh, some like really quality black humor, like from yeah. the get go. Yeah. Um Yeah. So those are some of like my initial likes and, and goods about this. What do you got? Uh yeah, I mean you kind of I think the goods are going to go quick because we you touched on all things that I was going to say the the comedy in it throughout the movie even as the story progresses more I mean I didn't know what to expect going into this. I didn't I didn't know if I was if it was supposed to intentionally be as silly as it was or or what. So um you know Watching it three times, I finally came to the point where, okay, yeah, this is like the stuff. This is just, it's a silliness, it's mayhem, and you're supposed to be having a really good time with it. So all of those points, you know, the comedy throughout as the story progresses, um, that was really enjoyable. That was in my goods. The other thing is the gore and the effects. The, you yeah. know, the special effects uh, throughout, again, like um, when you see the flaying of the face, the yeah. cheeks, all of the sacrificial stuff, um, 
just the the head of the construction worker bouncing and and his hat bouncing off, you know, when it falls off skyscraper. That was good. The literal uh, raining of blood and gore and limbs. Like there's something really magical to me about just the mysterious mutilated parts of bodies falling in the broad daylight all over the city. Right. I really appreciate that. That's what's so great about it. Yeah. It's just like in broad daylight. There's like this just magical absurdist element to all of it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's extremely absurd. Um, And then the other really good effect I thought was the body found in the water. Yeah. Uh, That I think it gets dumped by actually the, um, by like this sun cult or whatever, yeah. but it just looks disgusting. And that yeah. was kind of a good whiplash with as the silliness of the movie. Um, and then the really, really in-depth good work on, on all of the gore and the um, special effects is <laughs> so nasty. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of like we were talking the other day about American psycho, how there's parts where that are just revolting to read the book and then there's parts where I'm laughing out loud all in the same chapter, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I like that. That that keeps the movie like this um, definitely uh, keeps your attention, you know? I like also, speaking of the head part, uh, the head coming off sequence, one of the things I really love about this movie is there's like this really inventive, clever editing. Mm-hmm. So like they're talking about like, the guy's head well what did it just float away like a fucking balloon and then it immediately cuts to this air really great aerial scene yeah. of the city with the balloon floating away yeah and yeah. i just love how great that matches up to bring to the next scene which is the woman on the rooftop that gets right. becomes a snack <laughs> and the and again, there's a creepy peepee in that scene too. Yeah, yeah we got another creepy peeper. Yeah, um, I, I also appreci- appreciated like the kind of boldness in the direction of showing the creature and these big, what I would imagine, pretty difficult shots. You know, of the whole city and the creature flying through the city. Um, yeah. Uh, I thought that that was that was good to see him. You know, obviously it looks a little ch- ch- not cheap, but just weird. C- clearly animated or whatever. It's kind of like when you watch Clash of the Titans and you got that stop motion claymation. But 100%. because of that, you know, I I really appreciate it. It actually makes it more jarring and jolting to the senses to see it not flow smoothly. Um, Whereas, you know, you could have gone with like a, I don't want to say realistic approach, but just cutting those types of scenes out could have made it more um, down to earth, I guess. But the fact that he just rolled into it 100%, you know, both both legs in, uh, I like that. I thought that was good. Nice yeah, touch for that, this kind of camp, you know. Right. And I'm glad that you mentioned Clash of the Titans because that's another thing that I mentioned in my goods was the Ray Harryhausen homage with the stop motion animation. Cause it's like you have that kind of throwback nod. And then you have, obviously this is like an homage to the big monster movies all as far back as like King Kong. This is clearly a direct love letter to King Kong, but also the Japanese, the uh, Kaiju. Yeah. 
monsters. So you yeah. had all these different elements mixed up with everything else. Right. And because of this, of, I guess, you know, the creature pictures that have come before all of this blender of different things totally works. It doesn't feel jarring because, you know, you're expecting it to be this creature in the city. Once you find out, once you see them, you know, in the first, I don't know, 10 minutes of the movie or whatever, um, it makes it so that it's not a whiplash, like a hard whiplash with all of the different uh, elements that are coming in. I liked it. it yeah. Uh, so this brings me to us finally getting to talk about Michael Moriarty, who I love in this movie. And I think I've thought, at least across the board, from a lot of critical perspectives, he's considered pretty essential to this movie with his very, very, very excellent method acting. But you apparently, I think you have a little bit of like, uh, you, you didn't warm up to him as well. But, but I wanted to ask before we get into that discussion about what you might have had reservations about his performances. How do you feel about that piano scene? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, I did, Everything that I've come into thinking about this movie has a different shade to it. Now, just in talking the little bit off mic with you this past weekend about the movie and yeah. and just hearing your takes already, um, I'm changing my perspective rapidly about okay. how my expectation of all of this should have been. I came into this thinking of it too seriously. You know, taking it too serious. And if okay. you look at it like that, the piano scene is a bad. <laughs> but now that I'm seeing it more for what it is, a camp creature film, you know, all of this, um, that scene, I, I, I stopped it and rewound it and watched it again. In the, I said I watched it three times, but in the first time I watched it, I rewound it to watch it again. Excellent. Yeah. It's excellent. Comes in, decides he's going to try out for some work. And it's clearly like been set up somehow. You know, he's got the the inside intel from his girlfriend who works there or whatever. Right. And I find that funny because it makes you wonder, does she know if he's got musical, you know, proclivities or (laughs) she just – she knows he's kind of set. He's setting himself up for some kind of career suicide, or I don't yeah. know what's going on. But yeah, uh, top notch, top notch. And then, and then the cherry on top when he's walking out, and Carradine Shepherd goes, uh, "You know, I I thought it was pretty good." Well, yeah, what the fuck do you know? <laughs> I know it. I know it. I love it. And he says it so just kind of like. It's not even malicious. He's just like, he's just such like, um, he's just such a, how shall I put it? Almost like an impish bastard, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's just like, he, he's, he's like, obviously kind of a fucking loser. Oh, big and a, time. And a schlep. But then there's this kind of almost cockiness to him at the same time. It's this weird mixture 
where, yeah, he's going in there. I think he's going in there, not necessarily to get the gig, but to fuck with his girlfriend, basically. He's just like, I'm going to go in here and I'm just going to like, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, clearly, clearly he's already got this bank job thing set up for later in the day or whatever. So he doesn't need, if it was to go the, the way you would, you know, hope something like that would go. He doesn't need this piano man gig, but right. uh, thinking about this scene and how he interfaces with the police later and his demands and his cockiness there, it's almost like when he gets his character gets backed into a corner, which clearly happens all the time because he is a, a loser. Um, he gets this to overcompensate this aggro cockiness or something um and then yeah i think he plays that off really well and it's it's hard to watch in a way <laughs> but god damn is it funny yeah it's really the, good. The, the 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 fuck what the fuck do you know is such a payoff yeah yeah and i you know it's from what i read he completely improvised that scene he really? plays the piano parts yep it's, it was actually a piece that Michael Moriarty had apparently been working on. Wow. Goes in there, improvises it all, knocks it out of the fucking park. You know? Yeah. Um, I get, you know, and a lot of his character, just the decisions that he makes as a character throughout the movie, that's what kind of irks me. But that's just his character. He plays the character superbly you know even even his girlfriend when they're talking and she's going well under the child you know under all of this i know there's a good person in there i think somewhere (laughs) she's trying to lift him up and then she's having outward second thoughts about you know his decision making which i think is hilarious too yeah uh I love the whole part where it gets to the construction site. Yeah. And that guy is having a fit about people stealing his, his lunch. His lunch, yeah. <laughs> and then it comes to find out they are stealing his lunch. <laughs> right. And then that whole that whole dialogue between those dudes. After the dude just got murked by the winged serpent, he gets fucking taken out. And then the two construction guys are like, yeah, you know, his wife actually does make a pretty good tuna sandwich. I mean to tell him one of these days. Yeah, I mean to tell him one of these days. Right? <laughs> yeah, so that's great. Um, let's see what else. I'm kind of moving ahead a little here, but um, I love that whole part where Quinn is trying to negotiate and leverage against the city what yeah. he's going to get out of this deal with right. taking them to the the queue. And I that goes back to him just being kind of a born loser. Is even when he's he technically could have the upper hand here, right? You know? Yeah, he's he's really I think his negotiating tactics are kind of smart, but at the same time, it's just kind of the way of the world that. He, they're not going to give him. It's like a hostage situation. Right. You know, where the cops are out there telling him, yeah, we'll give you everything you want. Don't worry. Just, you know, come out with the children or whatever. And then immediately, of course, they shoot him or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I think that at that at that point in the movie, that's the most actual drama in the movie, his scene yeah. and how he expresses, you know, 
how bad of a rap he's got and and how the city has wronged him and everything. Um, That's the most, I don't know, I guess, serious point of the film for me, at least. Um, But then it, you know, obviously doesn't turn out in anybody's favor, really. No, because he, you know, fucking Shepard gets him obviously on a loophole. He's like, well, you, you know, you told us we get up there and we can get the serpent, but we just got the baby and he's just like, you know, fuck you. And then he says one of my favorite lines also in the movie where he's like walking away and he throws the fucking quarter and he's in, stick it up your brain, stick it up your tiny little brain. <laughs> your, 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 ti- your tiny little brain. Yeah. I can't come up with anything to say. Yeah. Yeah. So those are a few things. Um, obviously the great shootout with the monster, there at the top of the of the skyscraper once again clearly an homage to king kong there where they're just like blasting away hanging outside of the of the of the dome right trying to trying to trying to you know um land the monster yeah and, monster, and, it, <laughs> the monster ends up just crashing into you know what is clearly like an aztec structure like a aztec pyramid yeah, there in the city. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the claymation. You know, you see the you see the bodies getting flung off the building. Yeah. Initially, it was a bad for me, but now that I'm thinking about just the boldness of going in this, you know, full on creature wreaking havoc scenario, they could have just suggested that the characters getting thrown off the building. They didn't have to show it, but they did. And the way that they did with the claymation just rolls right into the entire um, theme of, of campy monster picture. Really, really well, you know? Yeah. And then, um, you know, of course there's the part where they finally, they catch up with, the man who is supposedly behind the the sacrificial killings, um, and they catch him mid mid uh, sacrifice. And he throw he takes his headdress off and throws it at the cops, right? And then runs off. <laughs> yeah, and uh, which I didn't have this in the uh, trivia, but um, that guy that is getting that sacrifice performed on him. That is one of the Carradine brothers. That's another oh, really? Carradine right there. Yeah. Really? The, the, it makes the business me one- guy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, David Carradine kind of threw me for a loop. I, I guess it, him being cast in this movie, I was just kind of picture. I thought because of his casting that it was going to be somewhat more of a serious creature feature yeah. <laughs> you know and then when it came that's kind of what sidelined me when it was just so silly i'm going what what how am i supposed to be interpreting this i'm not sure because you know it's it was uh when did it when was when did this come out 80 82 82 82 yeah so you know it's quite it's many generations removed from things now. It's like when we talk about Last House on the Left, these things that were really serious at the time, I look at it and go, what the fuck is this movie doing? You know, I just don't get it. So I was thinking I just didn't get this. But now that I fully have embraced and realized that this is just silly mayhem from the beginning. Yeah. Um, it's as I'm looking at my notes and I'm going through this, I'm flipping 
sides, things that were in my bads that are actually moving into my goods and, and stuff. Yeah. Well, and I think like that was why Carradine was cast too, because not only did he have somewhat of like a pedigree, you know, he, he had his own history in B camp movies, but obviously his father, John Carradine, good Lord, like he's the king of like campy, shitty B movies. Right. He was, but, but he was also, a legit actor at one point and he just for whatever reasons he's kind of like a Nicolas Cage of the time where he just decided to take on whatever movie was sent his way he was just he just worked all mm-hmm. the time and and I think with uh with uh with um David Carradine is I don't know how much you knew about <laughs> David Carradine but David Carradine was kind of known for being a wild man you know and yeah and so he also would take on a lot of just whatever because probably to get drugs. I know for a, like a long time there, he owed a bunch of taxes. Hmm. He was just always in some sort of some sort of syrup that he had to get out of. Sure. So, um, but you know, he was in Death Race 2000, which is also kind of a campy. I not think kind, that, Yeah, I think that was a campy movie for sure. But his character is extremely serious. In the film, sure. you know, yeah, but the the movie itself is pretty campy. Um, but but Frankenstein in that movie himself is a serious character. Yeah, I think that was the first film that I saw Carradine in, and that kind of painted what I expected from him for further mm-hmm. films. You know, yeah, this is serious, kind of um, subdued, really reserved kind of dark presence in a movie. And, right. you know, starting out in this film, you know, he's this detective. He really seems like kind of a gallows humor kind of guy, which sort totally. of suggests that he's kind of his hard-boiled detective or something. But turns out to be pretty goddamn silly. Yeah. Yeah. I th- And, you know, he can do both. He could play, like, the dark brooding character as well as have a little levity and comic like kind of aspects to what he does. I mean, that's also shown in the kill bill movies. I feel like right where they can go back and forth. They're intermingled within the same movie. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I mean, I guess thinking about it now that plays to his talents as an actor, but he can be, um, so many shades you can add, add so many spectrums to the same character, you know? Yeah. Um, I mentioned this a lot in movies cause we talk about a lot of movies that are from this era and are portraying New York of a certain time, but I also just genuinely love movies that do portray New York from this time. Right. <laughs> so I love that whole aspect of it too, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like I like the shots of the city. There's lots of shots of you know it's time and place what what these places looked like at the time and stuff. Um, yeah, thought that was cool. Um, and then finally for me, the end scene is just amazing. Again, just the perfect cap to this whole ridiculous movie is the Aztec devotee Casa or whatever his name is. He just won't die. 
Yeah. They keep shooting him and he keeps getting back up and right. they shoot him and he gets back up. And even, you know, Shepard says that he, he says, this guy does not die easily. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so maybe they did this and I don't know, but it's suggested, you know, the very end of the movie with the hatching of the secret egg. It suggested yeah. that there could be a sequel. Do you think that was sure. ever intended, or do you think it's just the terror continues? You know, it's hard for me to say because aside from the Alive, It's Alive movies, I don't think that Larry Cohen really had done a lot of sequels to his movies. I think, you know, he he obviously set it up that there was the potential. Right. But... If I'm to believe, you know, the numbers that I saw with what this made, clearly, maybe it it was wishful thinking. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, but, you know, it is definitely set up with that intent, I think, in mind that, oh, well, you know, this this could have a sequel. But right. um, What else you got, if anything else? Um, We pretty much touched on everything that I can that I, that I had in my notes, um, you know, now that I'm seeing it for what it is, uh, I have a different appreciation for just the quirky acting. Um, obviously, like I said, the gore throughout was excellent. The kills were good. Um, yeah, great kills. Yeah. It's just <clears throat> for being a camp camp movie, uh, of its time. It's, it's exactly what it should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Well, then let's move on then to the bad. I don't really have a whole lot of bad, but uh, first off, <laughs> bad security guard, that guy yeah. that's supposed to be uh, protecting I, yeah. <laughs> the I'm, top of the tower. Right. He just cannot he, – he has the, the lowest um, initiative of anybody. Just, well, oh, well. <laughs> He's up here right. somewhere. This will get you a year in the slammer, buddy. Yeah, he's, he just goes, oh, the hell with you when he just doesn't want to pursue Quinn anymore. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, I had Jimmy's pussy attitude. His ho-hum, the world is out to get me attitude over yeah. and over throughout. It, it, he's got a real victim complex. Exactly, yeah. It's. Uh, I guess it's good for his character, but it's a little bit uh, aggravating to watch throughout the entire entirety of the film. Right. But again, I, that's his character. He's just a sorry, sorry son of a bitch. Yeah. And you, and you find <laughs> that you kind of uh, see that building up right from the piano tryout. And then it goes right into my next bad, which is the bad jewelry heist plan. Yeah. Bad plan. Bad plan. I mean, horrible plan. He goes in there with no kind of, you know, way to hide his identity. Right. There's not really any talk about what's going to go down. You know, he doesn't, oh, well, do I get a gun? You know, you stay in the car. And then when he comes out, I can't even remember the sequence. He like gets bumped by a car and the suitcase goes flying out of his hand into the street. So he gets hit by a taxi cab while he's running from the scene. He's fleeing the scene. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, everything about it, like these are supposed to be professional criminals. Yeah. Like they've done this before. They're not hiding their identity. They 
why would they give a gun to the driver who clearly says, I don't use guns? Right. <laughs> I mean, the, the not hiding the identity, that's the thing where you just go, aren't these guys from here? You know how right. neighborly, you know, New York, oh, the, you know, yeah, I know him from the neighborhood. They're going right. to pick that guy out of a lineup in a second. Oh, yeah, it's Jimmy from the block. <laughs> you know, I mean, shit. Exactly. <laughs> Jimmy the doofus. Did he get away with it? No. Well, he's probably an idiot. That's Jimmy. You know? <laughs> yep. That's his MO. Yeah. Um, totally. Bad plan. Um, this also goes into my questionable, but of course, also bad cops. There's always bad cops in all every movie. Right. Bad cops. Right. Also with a bad plan to how like how they're gonna go what? Capture this giant bird, this giant creature that apparently they think lives up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um the, Shepard's shrieking, his showcase of his bird shriek, he does it at least twice in the movie. He does it with his girlfriend when he gets the research from the museum yeah. and he scares her with the shriek. And then later he does it again. It's it's <laughs> It makes me think that, you know, <clears throat> Carradine tried to take an executive decision there. No, let me, I got to have the shriek in the movie or I'm not doing it. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. It's just kind of <laughs> shoehorned in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm looking at this now. I have Shepard tearing up his report as a bad. Yeah, also bad, like that tantrum he had. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why would you could, do that? Could have done without that. Um, but yeah, my other bads have since moved to my goods. So okay. that's about all okay. I have there. Okay, well, fair enough. Well, let's move on to the questionable, and this goes back to what we were just talking about. The questionable with the cops' plan. Well, for <laughs> one, okay, would the cops and city officials really take Quinn that much on his word right. that they would send an entire squadron up to the tower with military-grade weapons yeah. to inspect the possible site of the nest? Right. You think they would do some sort of like reconnaissance? Yeah. How about, you know a, how, I mean? about a fl- how about a flyby? You know, right. <laughs> uh, flyby would help. Um, and they bring Quinn through the whole thing, you know? Right. I mean, I get that he's your lead um, witness, I guess, but uh, you're putting him in absolute jeopardy, just bringing him along for the ride here. Yeah. Um, how about, you know, earlier in the movie, there's that, I guess it's, I guess the guy was skinned to death like in his apartment, yeah. but it looked, I, when I first watched it, I thought he was burned to death. Yeah, it looks like he's like boiled. Yeah, he's boiled or something. And he's you can tell he is packing. That boy has got he's got some he's got some meat, if you know what he's I'm saying. Got some, and it looks very meaty when it's all yeah. skinned there. It just looks like, you know, yeah, salami down They're there. They're really doing him some favors, you know. They're really showcasing. But uh the cops just totally contaminating the scene. And yeah. the one just like throwing the pillow on the fucking bed on the on the Absolutely. boiled body. That <laughs> just was a, how disrespectful that is. Like, eh, eh, fuck this piece of ham. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I had you have it in your bad, but I had in the questionable the the cop that was the tower guard looking for Jimmy yeah. and just gives up immediately. I mean is, is he really going to end his shift? But, well, yeah, there's just some guy up there on the top of the tower somewhere. I couldn't find him. 
Right. I mean, you're talking about the attic of of what the Empire State Building essentially. It's, a, it's the Chrysler Building. The Chrysler Building, right? Yeah. There's not a lot of places he could go. You know. Yeah. Just yeah, forget it. <laughs> no. His <laughs> poor. Yeah. Um, I wanted to add with like the whole plan with the cops going up there. Also, let's say you know it's clearly they're taking what Quinn says seriously enough to go up there. Shepard at least believes him. Shepard's done his research. He's written his report. He thinks that there is some plausibility that there is some sort of monster up there. Mm. Wouldn't you want to also get some sort of, I don't know, anthropology expert, zoological expert, some sort of person that would at least have some tangential knowledge of how this creature habitats up there before you decide decide to go up there up all guns blazing. I mean, this would be a pretty major discovery. Right. An ancient creature of this size nesting in a major metropolitan area. Yeah. Well, you know, it's okay. <laughs> they sidelined all that by going to an Aztec museum in New York. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, you get all your research from some, some folklore. Um, <laughs> yeah. So my questions are kind of chronological. Um, so when Quinn initially goes up there and um, he shakes that guard or whatever, and then he finds the nest and he finds that skeletal body, uh, it, it's suggested that that's one of Q's victims, right? Q yeah, ate so it and run there. The woman that was sun tanning. Right, right. It's the suntan lady. It's weird to me that all of the skin is off. The bones are left. One, it seems like a lizard creature would just eat the whole thing. Eat the whole thing. It's kind of suggested that it does when there's just raining body parts in the city. But also, did he just lick lick the skin off? Did she just lick the skin off? Because there's that bracelet, you know, still on the bones of the body. Um, Which, you know, they need something to identify the body later. But that's to suggest that cute degloved this woman and yeah. and left the bracelet on or put it back on after the fact. <laughs> why how thoughtful. Yeah, how thoughtful. Why wouldn't you just eat the whole skeleton? I right. get it. You would think like at least I I would feel like the way to get around that plot hole or that little hiccup would be there's just like a pile of bones that got shat out. Yeah. You know, because the animal can't process it in its digestive system so eats all thing, just shits a pile of bones in the corner and then maybe yeah it's not going to be able to digest the bracelet so you in the remains you see a bracelet but yeah right. a whole skeleton that just in, somehow an was intact skeleton <laughs> yeah yeah just um, skinned off just like peeled off like that right yeah and then another thing that <clears throat> it, it was kind of aligning in my bad as well, but it goes more into questions. Just Shepard's immediate acceptance of the serpent theory. Yeah. You know, he doesn't really go with anything else. Once he goes to that museum and he sees about the, um, the ancient, you know, bird or some type of avian creature. Um, yeah. and then he just rolls with it. Like his, and everyone's reaction, I mean, that to this gigantic fucking lizard in the city, they just kind of accept it. Okay, well, we're just shooting it. 
you know, they're, they're really nonplussed by this <laughs> at this point. Yeah. I, I, it's hard for me to, to get behind. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and here's another thing. So <laughs> when the two other um, accomplices, the actual gunmen in the, uh, in the robbery, in the heist, when they come to, to Quinn's apartment later, you know, and he there's yeah. like, uh, goes out the, the fire escape, all that. Right. We're supposed to believe that they're hardened, armed robbers. You know, they're professionals and stuff. Are they going to really politely knock on the door, you know, and yeah. sort of try and get them to come out the door? It seems like they would just kick the fucker in and go in and find him. Maybe, or... You know, they could have been trying to attempt to make to draw as little attention as possible to what what's was the, happening. But what's, I don't what's, know. But what's then they the, go outside and then they rough him up. So right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is their end goal? Were they always gonna rough him up? Were they gonna try and kill him? Because you'd think, yeah, trying to not cause attention, but they're talking about what happened through the door. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Just uh, idiots. Yeah, bumbling buffoons. Uh, the captain has no office. They're standing in the hall of the of the PD, kind of discussing the plan, and they just stand there. And then captain, well, come on over here, guys. And then they just walk deeper into the hall. Like, wouldn't you just go into the office, your office? You're the captain of this precinct. You would think, right? Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> Talking talking police report details with Quinn during his interview when he's talking about, uh, you know, his demands and all this stuff. They're just totally taking him at his word, like you said. But then they're also divulging parts of the case with this con man just in the room. That seems a little bit um, – I've, I've always known police to hold all of their cards close to the vest, you know. Not, yeah. not, not give any more than than needs to be given, especially to a guy that they don't really know they can corroborate his stories. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, okay. So the assault scene on the on the. Did you notice? <laughs> this is kind of a joke, but when the assault team is going up the tower. They're awful jangly, like over, overly jangly. It sounds like they're wearing spurs. <laughs> yeah, right. You notice so they're that? not being quiet at all about. No, no. And yeah. I think it's supposed to be like a sound effect to, you know, suggest that they're, they got all kinds of tactical gear on, but it just sounds like they've got jingly spurs on. <laughs> um, yeah. Why do they allow Quinn a citizen along on the assault. I already mentioned that. Um, let's see. I have a couple more here. Um, why would the sacrificial slayer, the Aztec God guy, the cult guy, why would he throw his mask at the cops? The one thing that's keeping him anonymous, you know, right. he could have just thrown anything else or not thrown anything and just run out the strand. He has ran. a knife. He's got a knife. Throw that. Throw the knife. Throw More the knife. Effective. Um, 
Yeah, and then the cops all drinking Bud, some Budweiser's on the assault. Did you notice that up in the tower? Chuck me a cool one, you know? They're all drinking. <laughs> like the SWAT team is getting loaded. <laughs> yeah. you know? this, is, this is this is awfully casual, awfully, awfully yeah, uh, yeah a, a casual operation here. Right. And <laughs> finally, in my questions, okay, so Shepard is the most informed, aside from Quinn, who actually witnessed this thing. Shepard is most on board and informed about what they're going up against. And it seems to me that he has brought zero ammunition or any kind of reinforcements to um, really engage in the assault. He keeps, hand me a mag, throw me a mag in that machine gun that he gets from somebody else. He just yeah. comes to a gunfight with no ammo. What's up with that? <laughs> you know? But uh, that's it. I had a whole list of questions, kind of boiled them down there. You know, these are things we're not – we talk about this all the time. These are things we're not supposed to be thinking about in this type of movie, especially this kind of movie with such mm -hmm. a far-fetched story. But I can't help but but uh, bring these things out, you know? Well, yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where as fun as these are and as much as they're – yeah, they're just supposed to be kind of popcorn movies – there's these little things like this that, you know, maybe could spruce up the writing a little bit if they were taken into consideration. Yeah. I really, <laughs> you know? I really like all the cops sharing a six pack at the assault. If, if yeah. that didn't catch on the first time you watched it, just watch the last scene again to, to see that, you know, the specialists SWAT, the sharpshooters and stuff, chucking, chucking Bud, Budweiser's at each other and chugging them down. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, pretty cause, good. Because they're treating it like they're essentially they're out on a hunting expedition, I guess. Yeah, you know, we're just out here having some fun with our boys. With the boys, yeah. Getting boys. Get, getting flung off the Chrysler Tower. <laughs> like you should. Yeah. You're a get, cop shooting up an ancient god, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> it, it serves you right that you get turned into a piece of clay. And then just fucking flung off the side of the building. See ya. Um, so I had a few questions. Uh, does the size of the winged serpent allow for it being able to nest in that tower? Good Seems question. like the, ser the winged serpent's a little large to be well, squeezing in there. Right. And that goes back to our babe on the roof. How, yeah. how did she get stuck in the rafters, you know, way up in the corner? Did, did, did the winged serpent use its little... Pokey tail, whippy tail to <laughs> stash the fucking body oh, back up in the rafters. Yeah, scooter in there. <laughs> it was so <laughs> wide. He has no problem throwing full bodies all over the all over the broad daylight, all over Manhattan. But he's yeah, gonna just stash this one for later. You could you could have closed that loophole by establishing that the baby had already hatched. Then <laughs> it was baby food. Yeah. Little baby was nibbling on her up there. Right. But the baby hadn't hatched yet. Also, like, that's another thing with the whole, you know, the bad plan, the bad operation. Not to say that cops wouldn't do this, because we talk about this all the time. We've always thought about this on the podcast, like cops being bumbling fucking idiots, because they are. But just shooting up and destroying this creature in its egg. Yeah. 
with 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 no you know no thought whatsoever right. no thought to the consequence of this like maybe we should preserve this thing i don't know <laughs> um Anyways, uh, one question I had was, how does Casa, the Aztec sacrificial guy, and Shepard, for that matter, both know that quickly where Quinn would be? Yeah. They, they kind of try to explain it like, oh, we searched all over every single Fleabag hotel, but I don't know. I feel like in New York City, you'd have to be checking a lot of Fleabag <laughs> hotels. Right. How big That's is just- how big is the fucking is the you know police search for this guy? That's got to be right. enormous, right? Yeah. What's the dragnet for this? Um, but also, like, how how did the like how did the the sacrifice guy find him? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, he and- doesn't seem to know much besides showcasing beautifully boiled dicks and filleting <laughs> cheek meat off. You know, <laughs> right. Uh, and then also, so the mayor and the commissioner, I guess it's the mayor specifically, or the commissioner, it was the commissioner, the guy with the smoke and the pipe, he's, yeah. he's, the, he's okay. Why is he in so insistent that they don't connect the murders with the flying serpent deaths? Is it because it's just so absurd that these would all be connected? But you're already dealing with something that is incredibly absurd. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and then that kind of goes back to my whole thing about, okay, it doesn't really explain why he can't make that connection, but Shepard just jumps on it at the drop of a hat. He's all yeah. in on the lizard theory almost immediately. Yeah. Well, that's my questions. Well, there you go. See, we're we're whipping through it. Without without the barbecutioner on board, this shit just moves right along. Whipping and zipping. That's right. One, two, forty-three. I am having such a good time, I can't begin to tell you. Forty-seven, forty-eight, forty-nine, fifty. Drag me all the way up here so I can watch you do push-ups. 58. I'm having more fun as the moments go by. 60, 61. Well, all right. So moving on, then we're going to move on to uh, the back half of our program here with our words and categories, but also with quotes. (laughs) So right at the top, let's start off with the quotes. We've already kind of mentioned some of these. Yeah. I'm going to go back. Revisit. Stick it up your brain, your small little brain. Your small little brain. Yep. I had that one too. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Here's one that we haven't mentioned that I liked a lot. Quinn, when he's trying to make the the deal with the the cops, he says, uh, cop says to him, you want to make a bundle? And he says, yeah, why not? You know, a lot of murderers and crooked politicians have done that. So what's wrong with me? (laughs) Yeah. It's like his cockiness, but I, I don't know. I thought that was pretty good to just just a quick little quip about the uh, injustice going on, yeah, in, in the within the justice system and just the yeah. system in general. Yeah, um, that's a good one. So I don't know if it was just a, a a fuck up in the lines and they left it. I have a couple of little things. Powell says at some point he's pissed at. Quinn or, or someone and he says P 
piss ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, just what a piss ass. <laughs> That's good. And then Quinn, at some point when they're going up in the tower, he says, it so stinks. <laughs> it so I stinks. I, could, I didn't catch that one. Yeah. That's um, good. And then the other one that I had was, which you already mentioned, Shepard said, maybe his head just got loose and fell off. <laughs> yeah, those are got? all good. You got some goodies? Uh, I mean, that, th- those were it for me, so. Yeah. And then I already mentioned the other ones, like the, what was it, like, yeah, well, you said this too, where he goes, uh, what the fuck do you know? <laughs> yeah but like that's only funny within the context of the scene <laughs> right because <laughs> you just said what the fuck it's not a good line it's it's only good within the context of him walking out there so yeah uh, it's not like it's a zinger right okay so here's our awards with uh first off the Derek zoolander award for the biggest rube in the movie i guess again i just Chalked it up to the cops, the mafia guys. They're all fucking idiots. Man, so to me, Jimmy Quinn is a, a he's a dunce. He falls I mean, for he a, is a He is a rube, but for sure. I, 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 I actually gave it to Joan, his girlfriend, because she okay. just keeps putting on with the fucking guy. You know? Sure. I mean, that yeah. fool me once. You know, this guy has like boned out so many times from just what we can see, you know, it's, quint- um, it's a quintessential codependent relationship here. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's mine, Joan. That's a good one. Yeah. I, th- you know, I thought about just saying Jimmy, but that one was too obvious. So I didn't say it, but yes, Joan's a good one yeah. for being an enabling codependent girlfriend. Right. Uh, who seems like actually pretty rad. That's she, the whole thing. Yeah. She seems like she'd be a pretty sick girlfriend to have. You know? Know. She's, she's, she's cute and she's sassy and she's kind of funny. and Right. She but, she could get on better than Jimmy Quinn. Oh, she could do so much better than Jimmy. That's which what she, I mean. Which is also what kind of makes her the rube here. You know, she's yeah. just not she's just not seeing it. Yeah, totally. Uh, the Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat Award for Best Wardrobe of Makeup. I put Casa in his ceremonial... Aztec sacrificial outfit. Yeah, he looked pretty badass. That's what I also what I have. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Until of course he throws the fucking thing at the cops. Like a dipshit. Yeah, maybe that makes him the fucking rube. What the hell? Yeah, that's true. Thinking. That's pretty. That's a idiot move for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, he acts like it's his first murder or something. You know. All right. And he's getting caught there. Jesus. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, the Cosmo Kramer Award for the most likely to appear in a Seinfeld episode. I actually put Joan because Joan seemed like she would be a Kramer girlfriend. Yeah, I, men, yeah. Kramer's many like brief flings. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking Shepard uh, yeah. because he's he's eccentric, but he's also got a funny side to him. I could just I don't know who he would be, I, I guess, in uh in Seinfeld, but he seems like the kind of character that would be put in because he's, he seems like he's got an eccentric side to him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that brings me to my next word, uh, which is the Danny trio award for character. Most likely to have a spinoff. I put Shepard for that. Yeah. I could see Shepard having his own spinoff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. 
It's called Kung Fu. The legend continues. That's true. You're right. <laughs> uh, I put Quinn for this one. I mean, yeah, this guy's a loser. I could see his show being, you know, how he becomes the loser we see in this show yeah. as like a pre preamble. Yeah. His bumbling exploits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what, uh, what started it all, you know? What if you did a thing like kind of like an Abbott and Costello meets like Frankenstein thing, but you just put Quinn in all these different like monster finding scenarios <laughs> or, or almost like a, like a Scooby-Doo thing. <laughs> now, okay. Yeah. So in that case, like all of the universes are aligned and they all have happened. This is not the first time he's encountered a fucking horrific monster in this, in this, in this city of New York. Right. He just keeps – he'd be like the shaggy. He just keeps finding monsters <laughs> and like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's good. Okay. So <laughs> finally we got the wiki wormhole with uh, the body count before that. So I knew I was going to get mixed up with – there's kind of like the – the quick fire deaths of the cops there towards the end. So right. I actually went to YouTube to see, cause you know, somebody always makes some body count movie uh, or little video that splices all super cuts, all the, the, the deaths together. The one that I found, I don't, it wasn't very well done. So I kind of had to like extrapolate based off of that and based off of what I knew. And I put 17, the body count is 17. 17. Okay. So that counts all the sacrifices that we see. Yes. And, and as far as I know, also counts Q and baby Q. Uh-huh. So. Well, now, okay. We, we, we have this kind of discussion. Uh, I don't want to say argument, but we had maybe a little <laughs> bit of discourse about this on Deadly Friend where we were talking right. about. Does the deadly does the you know robot also count? It is yeah. a, it is a, a seminal character in the movie. I think it counts. It so counts. the creature, animals count. So the animals count. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's it was hard for me to right um, keep count because not only is there just cops left and right getting flung off the Chrysler Tower, um, yeah. But in the beginning, it seems like there's more reigning body parts, kind of like a montage of body parts than maybe bodies that we see being killed. So I didn't know if that suggests more bodies than we see. Well, no, because it's only suggesting body parts from like individuals yeah. that are getting picked off. So, you know, you got... You see the head. The wind, right? You got the window washer. Yeah. You've got... The suntan lady. You've got the one guy in the pool. Is that is that the off. is that the leg that falls in the street when there's just the raining blood? Is it no, his that's leg? The, that's the uh, the the suntan lady, I believe, is the raining blood lady. Mm, okay. So you have those few, and then you have the sacrifices, and then you have what else? Yeah, then you have the cops. However many that adds up to Q, baby Q, you have Powell. Powell gets taken out. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the two construction guys, which we didn't mention this, but there's the first construction guy 
which that whole scene is hilarious because it just shows him kind of like ass <laughs> over fucking tea kettle. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's some Buster Keaton shit. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so you got those. And then you got uh, Casa who dies after being shot like 40 times. <laughs> right. Yeah. Casa's, so. Casa's got the Michael Myers program in the later pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so around, around seventeen, let's say the 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 movie or the movie. I keep calling it the movie the the video, the YouTube video I watch. It only chalked it up to sixteen, but it didn't include the last death of of Casa. So I put seventeen. Anyways, mm. so I don't know why you would like forget that one. It's a pretty crucial death, right? Yeah. Anyways, okay. Wiki wormhole time. Writer director Larry Cohen, according to interviews, once looked at the Chrysler building and said. That'd be the coolest place to have a nest. The single thought was the idea which began the creation of the movie. There you go. Yeah, there you have it. Sometimes, it's funny to, sometimes a supernova of an idea comes from the smallest observation, right? That's what I mean. It's funny when you think about these these great projects that have been developed that they just come from this little this little thought like that that just. Right, it's a little the little seed that buds into great things. I like I like this that I found on IMDb. The building in the opening scene of the movie is the Empire State Building. In this scene, a window cleaner loses his head to the monster. His name is Willing Pitch, and he was an actual window cleaner for the Empire State Building at the time of this movie's filming. So, does that suggest he just didn't know fuck all about? Cleaning windows because that dude is doing an awful job. <laughs> doing or, terrible. Is that just rolling into his character? And all the while, the real William Pitch is going, "God damn it, this is so wrong." You know? Yeah. It's like I don't want to be judged by my fellow window washing peers. <laughs> yeah. Go, go as this. an alias in the credits, right? Yeah. Um, I remember reading this somewhere else, and I didn't see it this time, but I'm pretty sure also. <laughs> Uh, that Larry Cohen, I think this is when I read this in incredibly strange films about Larry Cohen. It was either in God Told Me To or this movie or both. That basically Larry Cohen had hired off-duty cops to play the cops in this movie. Hmm. So, <laughs> so is that is that why they do an authentic bad job at their job? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. I thought this was kind of cool just because I saw the host in in the Egyptian. You remember that theater on on Pine? Yeah, yeah. And uh, You're talking anyway. about the Korean movie, the host. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bong Joon Bong Joon Ho uh, yeah. was influenced by this film while making the host. Bong was excited by the idea of mixing humor in, with a monster picture. Yeah. So thought That's that was kind of cool because when I saw the host, I thought it was kind of unique. You know. But um, yeah, clearly this movie did it like 40 years prior. Yeah. Um, pre-production for the movie lasted just one week. The film was conceived after Larry Cohen was fired from a big budget film shooting in New York. Cohen determined not to waste the hotel room he had paid for, hired the actors and prepared a shooting script within six weeks. That's <laughs> a man really working on his feet there. Just yeah. yeah, just uh, <laughs> well, and and th- this little tidbit goes into that. A review show claimed this film was done guerrilla style, like I said earlier, with no permits, and that the sirens were genuine responses to simulated gunfire. So you yeah. know, uh, shooting from the hip, 
on this one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And then I've got this. They couldn't fit the, the giant egg and nest in the Chrysler Building's attic, so they shot these scenes in an old abandoned police building. When they were finished shooting, the crew removed everything except the nest. Yeah. Quote, close to a year later, there was an article on the front page of the New York Times, Larry Cohen said, detailing a flurry of activity from anthropologists flying into town to examine a mysterious nest found in the old abandoned police building. Quote, I wasn't, hey, I wasn't about to say anything about it. I didn't know what the liability might be. <laughs> That's it's funny. funny because in real life, the one question we had, where's the anthropologist in this movie? In real right. life, they are responding to the prop. That's good. Right, which is what would happen. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, my God. Like, there'd be anthropologists coming from all over the world. Yeah. Zoologists, biologists. <laughs> coming to see this creature not, not to mention all of the alphabet letter agencies you know right the big agencies the cia and the fbi and all these people would come they oh. shut it down before the the local cops could even be a part of it 100 yeah. percent. that's where it's just fu- it's just funny that if that whole scenario transpired in real life the new york city police department would be in such hot fucking shit <laughs> for destroying this magnificent creature this right that was ancient- that was literally prayed to life it was willed to life <laughs> right yeah <laughs> they'd be so fucked yeah <laughs> if that happened um, uh let's see I I just throw this in there. Just uh, I always find this kind of stuff cool. Shepard's wife is played by Dar- David Carradine's actual wife at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh la la. Yeah, that that's what that's what Carradine was slaying back then in real well, life. I'm, I'm sure he was a big pussy slayer. You yeah, tell. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, so now we got to rate this movie. Yeah, we're just zing zing zooming along. I haven't. Having that third wheel. I know. Yeah. Real quick fire tonight. Floats the pod. No, that's fine. We like having our third wheel. We miss him. Yeah, sure Uh, do. uh, So we got to come up with some sort of iconography. We've got a few different things we could do here. Well, we've got out of five window washers, decapitated heads. Sure. We've got out of five cues, out of five baby cues, out of five cue eggs. Uh, out of five out of Casa five, headdresses. Out of five flayed cheek meats. Out of five flayed giant dongs. Uh, I like the boiled the boiled dong. The boiled yeah, skin like, dong. The boiled dong. The, the boiled salami. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's go with that. Out of five boiled salami, salami dong. <laughs> flayed boiled salami dong. What did you give this, Brandon? Um. Okay, so you had a little bit of a reassessment of this. So I had a reassessment, that. right? Uh, I was initially <laughs> going to give a, a somewhat low score just because I don't go for creature features that much. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, I was I was leaning towards like a two and a half, only because oh. I don't go for this type of movie. Almost yeah. ever, but for what it is, and seeing seeing it with this new kind of perspective, as we were having this discussion, I think I'm going to give it a good uh, three and a half, leaning four boiled 
dongs because it totally executed what it was trying to do and then some with by adding yeah. the co- the comic elements so um i'm i'm just going to go ahead and give it a three and a half uh you know beautiful boiled salamis so you're going to give it well three full boiled dongs with like a little half a nubbin yeah, yeah, it's that it's that piss poor work by the Aztec god there at the end. Left a little something extra. Yeah, a little, little pud. <laughs> okay, that's great because I was going to give this a this is a square four four dongs yeah. for me. Um, I you know I really really like this movie. I it endlessly entertains me every time I watch it. I just I have a great time. So yeah, and. Going on to our next requirement is I will state that I feel like this is a straight square on the midnight clock midnight movie. This is like a cult midnight movie. Unanimous, without a doubt. Yeah. I'm right there with you on that. Great, great, great. Okay. So next week, my man. Yeah. Well, next episode, the way we've been going, whenever that is. Sure. I don't want to say next week, but next episode, it is your movie. So what do you got lined up for us? I was talking about this movie before I was even on the show. I was hoping you would do it. This is one, it's an unsung hero for sci-fi action to me. We're going to talk about 1989's um, Cyborg, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, It's an Albert Pion movie. And uh, it's got one of my favorite bad guys of all time, Vincent Klein playing Fender Tremolo. Think about that for a minute. Let that, let that, you know, gestate in your brain until the episode. Let that hum in, hum in your head. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, we haven't done a Van Damme movie mm-hmm. yet either. So, and that's another one that I've been meaning to mark off the list is some sort of van damage oh maximum van damage in this one and yeah so that's perfect i'm i'm excited to talk about that yeah should be good all okay this has been another deep dive into midnight movie madness big thanks to charlotte blythe for our intro music our outro music for today is none other than the dudes we were just hanging out with, you and I, Brandon. I figured this is apropos because it's a New York movie. Yeah, sure. About the the scum and the filth of New York. Hey, scum breeds scum. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I wanted to throw in a Gravesend uh, track here, so we're gonna we're gonna end this off with Methods of Human Disposal off of Gravesend's full length record they just came out with not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, if you got a question, you can email us at midnightflixpod at gmail.com. We have an Instagram at midnightflixpodcast. We have a TikTok, which I keep saying this, we will update someday once I get around to it. So you have all these different various means of keeping up with us on the internet if you want to, if you so are inclined. So go ahead and, yeah, give us a follow, give us an email, and we'll see you in the future. Our future. That's right. And Van Damme's future. Yeah. In the future. Yeah. All right. Treat treat Bye. treat them boiled salamis well. <laughs> <laughs>